Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you today by Athletic Greens, giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. And all you have to do, athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. You ever heard this cover of Bob Dylan's The Man in Me? Because you shared it with me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's one of my all-time favorite covers, dude. Storm clouds are raging. That whole... Dude, the, I, so I have... The, that verse. I have this fantasy of me and you and Phil... Uh, it, all being in a band, maybe my brother plays drums, and all we do are punk rock versions of Dylan songs. Are you in? Yeah. I like to, yeah. Or like, I want to do. I think I told you I wanted to do a, a, a like a punk rock version of "Love Lifted Me." Oh, That's it. it's not yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It's not the it's not the hymn. It's the it's the the pop song. Oh, because I was gonna say, I'm sure the hymn has been done in pop punk by some early two thousands pop punk band on tooth and nail records that seems like that definitely got done did you know speaking of man and me covers did you know the clash covered the man and me it's like no. yeah it's like a london calling b-side and it's dude it's pretty terrible <laughs> but oh hold on here, I was gonna say it's not as good as what we just listened no to. it's it's definitely not that good They sound real high, dude. They sound really, really, really high. Uh, Okay, so I I bring this up because we got a listener letter about Dylan. And uh, we've done a Dylan show before, but we've done a different era of Dylan. Um, And so I thought, you know, why not? Why not do Dylan? Here's what we got. If you want to send something to the show, it's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Greg writes the show and says... Just got introduced to your podcast. I absolutely love it. And I'd be really interested in a deep dive on what really happened with Bob Dylan's motorcycle accident. Oh, what a great man. Thanks, Greg. This is great. Thanks for listening, by the way. I'm really excited about this. I'm pumped about this letter because I've been thinking about doing something on this story for a while. And like I said, we have this one great Dylan episode in the archive from back in December of 21. And it's one of my favorite shows we've ever done. Uh, but that was late 70s, early 80s Dylan we were talking about, and this is vintage yeah. 60s Dylan. And I, I, I've been a Dylan fan a long time. You, you're a Dylan fan, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm relatively 60s Dylan guy. That's okay, me, okay. For sure. All the way back in high school or college, I read one, one of the big Dylan bios. I think it was Down the Highway, which would make sense um, given the time period of when that came out. But that was the Howard Sounds book. And a, a lot of references to what we're going to talk about today – uh, to that book when you when you research it. When people write about the motorcycle accident, this is one of the core texts that they go to. Um, and th- as I remember, I remember that being a pretty good book. Um, but I didn't realize for a long time that the validity of this whole thing about the motorcycle accident has, has always been questioned. Uh, oh, I, I didn't know that it was like it was fake like a bobby whatever that that football coach guy who had the who had the, 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 the motorcycle Petrino. accident petrino so you know why this is pertinent to me the guy who doesn't pay That's a right, lot of arkansas. attention to college sports he's from arkansas and and arkansas. then that's how you know who it is yeah well and I know what his in, last name is he was in louisville too but he was in arkansas when this happened and yeah i dude so it's sort of similar it's this idea of 
Bobby Petrino and Bob Dylan ripping each other off. Or uh, I mean, I don't think Bob Dylan's ripping Bobby Petrino off, but it's okay. Well, we, we might need to talk about that because that's hilarious. But there's something else serendipitous uh, about this that makes this episode a good timing. Did you know about the Bob Dylan Center that just opened last weekend? In Oklahoma, in Tulsa, right in Tulsa. Yeah. Now I, I had yeah. to, I had to do some research because I was confused as to why it was in Tulsa. Okay, the the George Kaiser Family Foundation and the University of Tulsa back in 2016 they spent 20 million dollars to buy the Bob Dylan archive. This is phase two. What? This is the storage space for the Bob Dylan archive. So these guys in Tulsa bought it. They needed a place to put it. They built this. Now. The George Kaiser work, family found all his things. It's all his stuff. And here's the crazy thing. Okay. Uh, you and I can only go so far in the Bob Dylan archive. They only let like lay people until we get some sort of credential that labels us like a, a true Dylan researcher. There's stuff we can't even access because there's so much stuff in this archive. Have you read up on this center at all? It's crazy. No, I just saw that it was in Oklahoma, and I talked to someone from Oklahoma for work yesterday, and I asked them how everything was going, and all she said was, it's 108 degrees outside. <laughs> and I thought, man, I don't know if I want to go to Oklahoma to go see this damn museum. That's what I was thinking immediately. It's like, man, that's like super duper hot. And I mean, it's ape, It's like May. It shouldn't be 100 degrees anywhere. So anyway. our, our executive producer, Leif Benson, he has in-laws in Tulsa. And so when I when I heard about this center, I immediately oh. texted him and said, can we go visit your in-laws? Will it be weird if it's just me and you and not your wife going to visit your in-laws? Um, yeah. But, okay, there's an entire exhibit in this museum about the song Joker Man. It has, <gasps> yeah. An entire exhibit? Dude, listen to this. So on that episode that we did back in December of 21, we we talk about this performance of Dylan and the Plugs on Letterman. It's yeah. it's on a loop in this exhibit. That performance is. Oh, man, I bet it looks a lot better than the one that's on YouTube that we watch. It has 10 of the 17 known drafts of the song. That song has 17 known drafts. So this is wow. clearly my kind of place. Now... There's an interesting thing in the New York Times article, this is in the show notes, of course, about how <laughs> they're calling this a center and not a museum because... Yeah, it, they're right. I noticed that. If you call it a museum, it would give his legacy too much authority or something? It's reasoning that I didn't understand, but whatever. Hmm. Uh, okay. Let me read from the New York Times piece. Dylan studies is a subject now fully embraced by academia, said Douglas Brinkley, the Rice University history professor, who, with his wife Anne, is a donor and advisor at the Dillon Center. It's now become a legitimized field of study. Anywhere in the U.S., if you're an English or history professor, you can propose teaching a class on Dillon, and the Academy will bless it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I've, sure. al I've already reached out to my best pal Ben, who is an English professor, and asked when his Dillon class is starting and how I can audit he said, maybe next semester. <laughs> so I'll let you know. Um, okay, fun fact about all of this concerning the center. Dylan himself, very little to do with it. In fact, he played in Tulsa last month and never acknowledged it from the stage. <laughs> Which is like the ultimate That's Dylan so troll. Like, it's just... And, and I bring this up because yeah. we're gonna... There is this aspect of Dylan trolling the world that I don't think gets talked about enough, but he's always sort of trolling the world. And that's a great example. Now, his business office is very involved, yeah. but, but him personally, he doesn't even mention it when he goes to Tulsa, which is absolutely nuts. So, like, for instance, 
when they opened the center, Bob Dylan was not there. Elvis Costello was, but Bob Dylan was not. Yes. And he did a show and played Dylan songs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I saw just I saw just a thing and I just saw a caption. I didn't hear the video. I didn't go down that rabbit hole, but I was like, oh my gosh, did Elvis Costello do a show at this Bob Dylan Center? <laughs> he did, dude. And apparently so. All right. Before and Bob Dylan didn't come. Before we get to the day of this accident and we talk about the accident specifically we got to place this incident inside dylan history right because dylan history is a is a 60 year old you know huge period of time uh that's still happening there's still dylan history being made um and we encounter this quite a bit when we talk about artists from the 60s and 70s still making records but dylan's ascension into musical superstardom is really fast he goes from being like a studio session harmonica player to the voice of a generation in like four years he signs with Albert Grossman for management, who we'll talk about, in 1962. And later that year, he drops his self-titled record. And, and you said you're a 60s Dylan guy, and I want to point something out. Between the moment that he signs with Albert Grossman and drops that first record and the motorcycle accident, just a little through the midpoint of 1966, there's barely four and a half years. And in that time, he has released The Free Will and Bob Dylan... The times they are changing. Another side of Bob Dylan, bringing it all back home. Highway 61 revisited and Blonde on Blonde. Seven records, four and years. And he goes electric also. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. The pop culturally preserved Dylan, the folk hero, the protest song singing, rabble rousing Newport Folk Festival Firestarter. All of that is within this four-year period. <laughs> 62 to 66. Man, I loved all those words together. Now, all those words together were like a salad I wanted to eat. <laughs> we're we're here to talk about the motorcycle, but since you brought it up, let's talk about the Newport Folk Festival for a minute because this is going to play into this larger conversation about Dylan trolling the world. Yeah, sort of. So some of it is about Dylan trolling the world, and some of it is about Dylan figuring out like how to lean in, how to lean in when people assume something and just let them assume it. Tell me what you think you know about Dylan to the Newport Folk Festival in 1965. I, I, I do remember it was uh, Peter of Peter, Paul, and Mary. I, I remember yep. an interview He's where on the stage. it was this really dramatic thing about, about saying that they felt let down. Like there was this betrayal. Like there was this, it was such a, 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 a hardcore betrayal of what, they were all looking for for him like they were looking at him as a you know as a spokesperson mm -hmm. and it's so weird because i can imagine him being like uh no um completely not and and it and it really it really shows how he stepped aside from the folk like movement and just walked off because he didn't need to to do that so the way i always heard it was that Dylan showed up and basically like brought beer to church, right? Like he sort of disrespected the folk festival tradition. <laughs> he, he, he brought beer to church. It's the equivalent, right? He's he's plugging the band it's in. so good. And well, and I, you know, yeah. you hear this story, you picture it, it, he's getting booed off stage, right? Is that sort of how you remember this happening? Yeah, yeah, he got booed. And it becomes this turning point, both yeah, for got, him. Yeah. He got, yeah. And for rock and roll in general. And it's actually pointed to in a long line of events that led to the Summer yeah. of Love and beyond. And you said it earlier. Dylan went electric. Dylan goes electric, right? It's a shorthand for a time period. Here's what I want to ask you, Mark. Right. What if yeah. all of this is total BS? 
which part the that he's going electric was a a PR thing or he uh, about was just, what's the BS? What happened at Newport? Here, let me explain. Bruce Jackson was one of the organizers okay. that year at Newport. In 2002, he wrote a piece claiming that not only did this historical interpretation not fit his memory, he actually went back to the tapes from that performance, because they exist, reviewed them, and claims that they prove that that version of the story is a fabrication. The booing, like that people didn't boo him, right? Right. This that is, wasn't really a thing? So At, at Royal Albert Hall, by the way, before he plays <laughs> knocking on whatever whatever the song he plays at the end of the the thing, someone yells Judas at him really loud. So that was what I remember about that performance. Okay. So it's definitely true that later crowds boo him. But right. Bruce Jackson yeah. has this entire theory about the legend of Newport Folk Festival being blown out of proportion and basically leading to this later rejection of Dylan by people that never that, that happened because people it said Newport happened. Folk Festival happened, but it never really happened. Yeah, okay, so... It never happened. You, okay. you can review this in the show notes. It, this is a okay. fascinating piece that I had to find on the Wayback Machine. Okay, that's how old it is. But Oh my gosh, wow. So he, he claims the cheering and the jeering that day was not related to Dylan's choice of amplification at all. This guy, Bruce Jackson, literally transcribes the tapes. So you can read the transcription. I'm going to go to the back half of the piece and I'm going to read something from after he transcribes the tapes in this piece. Okay, here it goes. This is him speaking. Three things stand out. First, you can hear a lot of individual things yelled by the audience and the general response of the audience. Second, all the booing you hear from stage is in response to things that Peter Yarrow said, Peter, Paul, Mary, right? Not to things Bob Dylan said. Third, it was Peter Yarrow who first started drawing attention to what guitar Dylan was using. He twice said he's coming back with an acoustic guitar and stressed it each time. I remember That's one. Right. I remember wondering at the time why Peter was making such a big deal of what instrument Dylan was going to use. I heard people say that Dylan himself gave proof of how upset he was at the booze when he came back to do the encores with the acoustic guitar rather than two more electric songs with Butterfield. Nonsense. Dylan and the Blues Band did three songs together because that was all they had prepared to perform together. They hadn't prepared more because they'd been told beforehand by us, the Newport board, that three songs was all they were allowed to do. They'd cleared the performance with the board, according to this guy. I know that at some subsequent performances, and this is this speaks to your point about Royal Albert Hall, I know that at some subsequent performances, Dylan's electric guitar was indeed booed by people in the audience, but I've never known if those boos were from people who were really outraged and affronted by the electric power or people who read some of these first renderings of the legend of Newport 65 and thought that that was the way they were supposed to behave to be cool. After all, by the end of that summer, everybody knew Dylan had gone electric, so why go to a concert if you know beforehand that you're going to be unhappy and your ears are going to hurt? Yeah. After listening to the original recording, I can't help but wonder if that whole short period of public rage at Bob Dylan's electric guitar wasn't just one more passing fad manufactured out of some warped stories that came out of a performance uh, that just who was really there at the time, if not the reconstructions of memory, thought was pretty damned fine. So I may have Easter egged this episode by hiding this in the middle, but this is insane, right? 
Yeah, Puff the Magic Dragon guy, like, did, like, I mean, I, I remember that now. He was on stage, he's like, he's going to come back with acoustic guitar. I remember all this now. Like, put it, putting all this together is so crazy. Puff the Magic Dragon guy. So here's, here's a crazy thing about Bruce Jackson, this guy from the Newport Folk Festival, right? So I started looking around for more on him, because I'm like, why has this guy's voice been suppressed throughout history? Like, this is strange, right? He so he wrote this article and it came out in 2002 because he like it had just been fed up. I mean, this is 40 years after the thing happens, but I think he had just people knew his relationship to the festival and they always wanted to bring that up and talk about it, obviously, because it's like the most famous Newport Folk Festival factoid ever. And he was like, I, I he just always was unsettled, thinking, I don't really think that's how it happened. And so it led him on this journey to go back and review the tapes and then write this piece. So he writes this piece in 2002. It apparently was such a big deal to him, he ends up writing and publishing a book through Temple University six years later about the power of created narratives in storytelling. And the key, nice. the key thing in this book is using the Dylan incident as an example. He turned this into a book deal. And yet, the myth persists. Right. So... so with this new insight on our brains, let's go almost exactly a year into the future from that fateful day in Newport. July 25th, 65 is Newport. July 29th, 66 is the motorcycle accident. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you today by Athletic Greens and their product, AG1. If the pandemic taught me anything, it's that my immune system needs to be in tip-top shape, and AG1 helps me get there. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, they're all there, and bonus, it does not taste bad, which is really good. Uh, it's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, any of that stuff, contains less than one gram of sugar and helps better sleep quality and mental clarity and alertness. Really good when you're doing a lot of rock and roll research. It's important to me, right? Uh, so listen, it's time for you to reclaim your health. Arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop, cup of water every day. That's it. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do, athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Go check it out and just make sure you put athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Now, back to the show. Now, I asked you about Newport. Now I'm going to ask you about the motorcycle accident. What do you think happened? I don't know as much about the motorcycle accident. It's sort of a, uh, one of those Dylan myth myth things that I know not all that much about. Okay, well, I'm so going to tell, tell you why you don't know much about it because there's not much to right. know. There's not yeah. hardly any information out there. It's not. This is literally about what ninety percent of people, rock and roll fans like me and you, know. It's like, hey, I think it was in I think it was in an accident in '66. So here's yeah. the simplest version of the story. On July 29th, 1966. Dylan crashed his motorcycle, a Triumph Tiger 100, we do know that detail, near a his triumph. home in Woodstock, New York. Dylan said he broke several vertebrae in his neck. Okay. Wow. Okay. So let's get a little more color on this. End of 65, Dylan gets married. Now, he has lots of relationships, but this is the one that brings us Jacob and Jesse, and it's with Sarah Lowndes. Uh, who is a model. And so this is the one that produces, right? 
So produces one headlight for us. This is what that marriage, <laughs> right? Everybody, it is. It is. It's that song. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sixth Avenue heartache, baby. Now they get married and live up at upstate New York, and so does Albert Grossman, Dylan's manager. Mm-hmm. Now we'll talk more about him later. We've talked about him on the show before. A disgusting individual, and I think he plays into this in some way, shape, or form. But. <laughs> So they, they both live in upstate New York, pretty close together. The story is, on this particular day, he rides his bike over to Grossman's, and Sarah drives the car. And I get this because my wife has a Honda moped, and sometimes we do this. We go to my brother's house, and I drive the car, and she drives the moped. Now, because it's a nice day, and you want to get the wind in your hair under your pink helmet. Now, when they leave that day to return home, she's following him on the bike and watches him lose control. Now, let's talk about how these things normally work. If we're going to establish exactly what happened all these years later, we would need corroborating evidence. The more official, the better. So, how about a police or incident report about a man flying off a motorcycle? Got one of those? Uh, No. 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 Okay. That's not that fishy, because you could explain it away with Bob Celebrity, right? Also, single vehicle accident. So, you know, you might not call the cops for a single vehicle accident. You don't want to draw attention to yourself. This is height of his fame, right? In the 60s. He's a big deal. Okay, so no police report. But Bob was hurt, right? Most common story has to do with the vertebrae in his neck. Maybe a concussion. So what do you do if you're worried about a guy's neck? Do you call an ambulance? Yeah, you go to the hospital. Do you go to the hospital? Yeah. Yeah, no. He didn't, he, no, he he didn't, didn't go to the hospital. He didn't do that. None of that exists. Okay, there are there is no medical records. Now, again, Bob is ultra famous. The only option is going to be a small town hospital, and it's somewhat believable that they choose to err on the side of privacy. But what are you going to do with this guy? If this is a real accident that will eventually side rail his career, you don't take him to see a doctor, and you don't go to a rural hospital. So what do they end up taking to a hospital where there there's some you know trained physicians or a surgeon or something? So. The Down the Highway book, the Howard Sounds book that I mentioned, here's the story according to that. Because I told you, this guy's like got the scoop, supposedly. I, I, I told you his wife Sarah was behind him in the car. So she stops, somehow gets him into the car. I don't know how she does this. That does not seem safe. Or, or the, Pulls the, him by his hair yeah. and throws him in the back seat. <laughs> See, I want to think I can get a grip on him. All the curls. Yeah, that's what happened. Um, and, and they go back to Grossman's house. This is the story in the Howard Sounds book. They go back to Grossman's house. Grossman is married to a woman named Sally at the time, who at some point has said publicly that she did see Bob return to the house that day. But she did not say she saw visible injuries, just that he was, quote, moaning and groaning. Mm. Which, you know, in her defense, he could have just been trying to sing. But um, okay. So the the medical records issue is explained in this story with the explanation that some combo of Sarah and Grossman now drive Bob for an hour to a doctor they know named Ed Thalk. Now, the there's a lot of there's a lot of wives weighing in on these stories. The doctor's wife has also confirmed that this happened at some point, like to the Associated Press, and said that he they did in fact come to the Thaler household. And here's the crazy factoid. Dylan stayed there and recuperated there for a month. Now, mm, yeah, 
I'm, I'm going to read. This is what I remember. This is what I remember. Okay. He was somewhere. He was laid up for a while. He was laid up at this guy's house. Now, I'm going to read from a Seattle Times piece that was done to commemorate 50 years since the accident. This is from that piece. Dylan stayed in the third floor bedroom of the Thaler home for about a month, eating dinner with the family and having friends over on Friday nights, including Allen Ginsberg and the musicians who would later become the band. The band. They showed a movie on the living room wall, and uh, Mrs. Thaler thinks it was Don't Look Back. Here's Here's the weirdest part of the article. You ready? Okay. Dylan was sweet and quiet, Thaler said, but she can't recall him showing any visible signs of the injury. She believes he broke his neck. Wait, what? <laughs> she she doesn't remember seeing any visible signs of the injury, but thinks he broke his neck. Yeah, and it got better pretty fast. Wait, no. How do you not see visible signs? If you break your neck, like... You're in a hospital. You're in something. You're in a neck brace. You're in something. So this doctor lets Bob Dylan live in his house for a month and have beat poets over on a whim? Like, what? This is crazy. Okay. Yeah. So (laughs) listen, let's set aside the hard-to-believe aspects of this story. We don't have any of the traditional documents to certify this accident. Yeah, and is any of that true? Was he really a doctor's house for a month? I, 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 I don't know. So what happens after the accident, right? Let's look at let's look at the effect of the accident. If there was an accident, let's just assume there was. And then what happens after? And the short answer is, everything slows down for Dylan. He won't tour in any sort of regular form for eight years after this. And all the basement tape stuff happens in the next year because Dylan starts playing with the band at his house and then at their house, Big Pink. Yeah. And you said, I love 60s Dylan. Well, 60s Dylan is 66 and back because there isn't yeah. much Dylan. There's John Wesley Harding happens in between 67 and 70, I guess. But then you get into my beloved Nashville country phase, including New Morning, which we heard Man and Me, and some of those great songs, Nashville Skyline, all that stuff, self portrait. Mm-hmm. It all happens after this. He moves into this next phase. We've talked about. Dylan's phases on this show before we talked about his Christian phase in that other episode and then how he, he got into this weird phase in the 80s with Joker man and other stuff right he, he has phases and this is the, yep. this motorcycle accident in the mythology of Dylan punctuates the end of the classic 60s Dylan the, the yeah. Dylan that people picture when you say Bob Dylan and they see the big hair yeah they don't think of like the the 70s 80s uh, juggalo uh, Dylan with the white paint on his face. They don't think of that. <laughs> okay. We, we already established that Dylan is very careful about what he says, but he himself in his 2004 autobiography Chronicles volume one, he says this, and this is all he says about the motorcycle accident. Quote, I had been in a motorcycle accident and I'd been hurt, but I recovered. So poignant. It. And then, yeah. and then after that, he says, Truth was, I wanted to get out of the rat race. Having children changed my life and segregated me from just about everybody and everything that was going on outside of my family. Nothing held any real interest for me, and I was seeing everything through different glasses. Now, that may be, but it is worth throwing out at this point that Dylan and Sarah's first kid, Jesse, Jacob's older brother, is like six months old when the motorcycle accident happens, and there is no mention of that kid in any account. 
So, I mean, he could just be being raised by a nanny or something. That's totally acceptable. But, like, no one is like, oh, and meanwhile, while Dylan was holed up with Allen Ginsberg at his doctor's house, <laughs> Sarah was playing with Jesse. Like, that's not mentioned anywhere. So, I don't know. Who knows? That does seem weird that that's not, like, I can't find any mention of that kid, even though his birth date is early 66. Now, I'll admit that a certain level of fame allows someone to be eccentric. And it often encourages exceptions, like month-long houseguesting. These things would not, they, they wouldn't be afforded to me and you, but if you're Dylan, you get them, right? So, yeah, this account could all be gospel. I mean, I don't know, but... Greg's question led on that, in general, people are still a bit skeptical about this story and think there may be other explanations for Dylan needing a break. Now, Greg mentioned this. Whenever anyone that famous disappears from the limelight, the age-old assumed explanation is drugs. Right. Easy. Now, you could make a pretty good case for concern when looking at the historical record on this one. That 65 tour was tough. That's when they do don't look back. That's when D.A. Pendebreaker is following him around everywhere. Yeah. And he was actually in the middle of this going electric phase, whether or not Newport happened in the way that we think it did. Um, We do know that he was under a lot of stress, and we do know there was fallout from that. And there's also the matter of the company he was keeping. There is actual video, and I don't think it makes it into anything official from the Pendebreaker documentaries, but when he was following him around on that 65 tour, there's this footage of Dylan and Johnny Cash. And it's... Oh, I was going to say, I was going to say, I know something else, but you go first. Are you talking about Dylan and the limo? Or, I mean, Dylan, yeah, Dylan and Lennon? Cash. Dylan and Lennon. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's Dylan, I actually set that aside and I wasn't going to bring that up, but there's, there's Dylan and Lennon in the limo. And, and that happens. And it's not fun to watch. And that's not a fun footage to watch. And I don't know if it was Lennon. I assume it was Lennon. <laughs> excuse me. That said that that the reason they weren't talking that much is that they were both, like one or both of them wanted to throw up. Like they were hungover or something. Like they didn't feel yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. So it was weird. like footage of like two amazing famous people that like weren't great on camera at the moment. There's there's a link to that video. So there's footage of Cash. Uh, yeah, okay. So there is a link in the show notes to this footage of Cash, and, and there's a link in that article with the footage of Cash to the footage of Lennon. So if you want to go find all that, you can find it. Now, this, if you know anything about Cash, which we actually haven't talked much about Johnny Cash on this show, but Johnny Cash in 66, height of his amphetamine stage. And... The way the camera is positioned, like this piece of uh, film will be pitched to you as Dylan and Johnny Cash singing Hank Williams, I Saw the Light, high AF on amphetamines. Now, because of the way the, the camera's like behind Dylan, so you really only see his head in the back of his head, but you see Cash straight on and Cash is high AF. Now, I don't necessarily think that Dylan is. It's just, it's hard to tell. You don't see his eyes and stuff. But Cash is, it's disconcerting to watch Johnny Cash in this video clip. Um, but regardless of his state in that particular video, Dylan using during this period is pretty widely documented, right? Like, it's pretty well known that he was amphetamine. Some people say heroin. Like, I don't know. But he was into some stuff. And one theory that starts to swirl, like, sort of pretty quickly after this motorcycle accident, was that, this was going to be a way to get him off the road and get his drug habit under control. Mm, that makes sense. Sounds like it. 
now, reasonable. You know, there's also exhaustion. Maybe it's not drugs. Maybe it's just Dylan is totally worn out. Uh, it's not out of the question, given how insane the four years before this had been. We mentioned that, right? And could those two yep. things be related? Drugs and being totally worn out. Sure. All of these things could be true, and none of them really rule out the others. But the question becomes, would Dylan, and even more than Dylan, would Grossman, be willing to fabricate or misreport something like a motorcycle accident as a way to get the singer a break? And Sally, because she had to be in on it, too. You mean, Sa- you mean Sarah? Sarah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, we yeah. did talk about Sally. Sally was Sally was the doctor, or no, was Grossman's wife. So yeah, I guess Sally was in on it too. Right. Uh, so what do you think? Do you think that they would fabricate something like this? Maybe, I mean, if you think about, think about Cobain and how fast that was, 91 to 94, three years. Yeah. And think about Dylan, that's four years. And, and like, it wasn't like, oh, he's a pop star. It was like, you're the voice of a generation. Right. That's some pressure. I mean, which is kind of what Cobain got, but really wasn't accurate. I mean, he wasn't speaking for everybody. Like, he was, he killed hair metal and was playing power chords, and it was, like, super powerful, and it launched thousands of bands, people who wanted to play guitar. Um, but, yeah, I, I can kind of... I mean, I can kind of see it as being some way of kind of getting off the road or, or disappearing. Because how do you disappear? Do you say, I'm going to take a break? Right. You, you, I mean, Dave Chappelle, right? I'm going to Africa. You know, yeah, I mean, and then everyone thought he was crazy. And then everybody thought he was crazy because he wanted a break. So, okay. Or he's on drugs. He's, 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 he's on drugs. Just, That's why he quit his show. You're just repeating what everybody dollars. said about Dylan. You're just repeating what 30, everybody said about Dylan. He, He's turned down $30 million. He's on drugs. So, right. okay. Remember how I said Dylan likes to troll people? We, we, <laughs> yeah. Let's look at the evidence. We know okay. that Dylan is not uncomfortable lying to people. Dylan used to tell people that he ran away from home to join the carnival when he was a teenager. That's a right. true thing. It doesn't check out. He said at times that he grew up in New Mexico. Also, mm-hmm. does not seem to check That's out. true. On this very show, back on an episode called Yacht Rock versus The Day the Music Died, we talked about rock pioneer Bobby V and the piano player that they briefly had in their band who called himself Elston Gunn, who claimed that he'd been touring with Conway Twitty. Remember this? Yes, it's so funny. Everything, this is like... (laughs) It's like a roller coaster ride of awesomeness. So that was Bob Dylan. Thank God Conway. Thank God Conway Twitty was at the end of the roller coaster. It made it so much fun. <laughs> so we know he makes crap up. And if that's not enough of a track record to convince you that this guy isn't afraid to sculpt a persona or self self mythologize, there's an artifact in the show notes you have to see. I and mean, this is what you need to do as soon as we're done. Yeah. Dil- have you ever seen Dylan's press conference in San Francisco in '65? I, I was it in don't look was it in the no, movie in the dark? no this was like public access and it's like yeah. 50 minutes long <laughs> and it's this side of Dylan we go don't get to see very often but it's amazing and he's clearly just trolling the audience he starts smoking does in the middle sun- of it does he have sunglasses the whole time not the whole time but he may for okay. parts of it uh yeah. it's dude and, and then like Bill Graham asks him a question at one point. It, dude, it's bonkers. Like, you just have to go watch it. So Okay, I've never seen it then. Okay, 
I want to check it out. I have this crazy harebrained theory that definitely isn't in the Tulsa Museum or officially sanctioned by any Dylan Studies professors. <laughs> but I think that Bob is burnout. I think he's fighting with his new wife about being gone all the time. I think he's infatuated with mm. his new son, Jesse. And I think he goes to Grossman's house that night for some reason. Now, it may be to complain. It may be to, to, to quit. And remember, Albert, oh, Albert yeah. Grossman is a creep. We, t- we talked about this on the yeah. Tuvan Throat Singing episode, but he's the guy who screws Paul Pena out of a career. And as mentioned in that episode, when he discovered how bad Janis Joplin's drug use was, he took out a $200,000 insurance policy on her. And he yeah. and it paid out. That's the thing I remember that was gross. That's so, the thing that was gross. Grossman's disgusting. So I think either Grossman told him no, that he had contracts to fulfill, because Grossman wants to continue to make money, and we know that he's cutthroat. And so Bob and Sarah hatched this plan and faked the whole thing. Or... Maybe Grossman was in on it, and he tells Bob, let's tell everybody that you had an accident, and you can take a break, and simultaneously, we'll make you bigger than ever. Mm. I can see, boy, the first one's really exciting, but the second one seems more practical. Now, there's one more small coincidence about this whole thing that makes me skeptical that I've, and I've saved it here for the last. Okay. Have you ever heard the name Richard Farina? Yeah, who is that? He was Thomas Pinchon's college roommate. And he started hanging out in the Greenwich Village with Thomas and Bob Dylan in the 60s. And through Bob Dylan, he meets Joan Baez. And through Joan Baez, he meets Joan's sister, Mimi. And he marries Mimi. Okay? He marries Joan Baez's sister. Richard Wow, okay. Now, this guy was supposed okay. to be a big deal because he and Mimi write a bunch of songs, one of which has been covered by a ton of artists, and they put out two albums, and he writes a novel, and he gets published. And it goes on, this novel goes on to like cult status in the 80s. It's got a great title. It's called Been Down So Long, It Looks Like Up To Me. How do I know who that guy is, Brian? Because he was, like, he was like in the beat uh, uh, okay. movement, right? So he's like a beat guy. Yeah. All of this is mid-60s. So he is on the verge of being huge. And in April of 66, April of 66, three months before Dylan's accident in July of 66, guess what happens to Richard Farina? Says a motorcycle accident? He dies in a motorcycle accident. Okay. Now, I'm just going to leave that there. I, I don't know what to say about that other than what a weird effing coincidence. And it's Joan Baez's brother-in-law. It's not like he didn't know Richard Farina really well. He, Joan he, Baez is a, is a constant in his life. Now, he's, he's a little estranged here because he's with Sarah, but he's on and yeah. off with Joan Baez for like two decades. Yeah. They make that crazy-ass movie with Sarah at the end of the 70s. Do you know about that? Yeah. Do you know how long that movie is that they make at the end of the 70s together? No, how long is it? It's like four hours. <laughs> I, I've seen reports that say it's almost five hours, but most of what I've read says it's four hours. I, I'm just telling you right now, I'm not going to go watch it. But I did find clips of it on YouTube, and it's, it's bonkers. It's like and part I, documentary wa- and part French film, and it's, it's, so, it's so weird. 
I, I watched parts of it because I really at some point got really interested in the relationship between Dylan and Joan Baez. And I wanted to understand what it was and what it was like, because eventually I saw clips of, you know, later day Joan Baez who kind of sounded like she was still bitter about the entire thing. She's yeah. And that's, I mean, and I, that sucks. I read a quote from Dylan where he, at some point somebody asked him what happened with Joan Baez and he was just sort of like, I, I screwed up. Like he's more or less said that at some point. Like I don't know which at which point if this was in the sixties, seventies, or later. But he he eventually just sort of was like, yeah, I messed that up. It was my fault. So yeah, I you know she probably has rights to be bitter. Anyway, uh, I don't know. I I can't make any claims on this Richard Farina business, but it's not a factoid that's widely reported in relationship to this story. And it happened three months before in his inner circle. So great idea. I'm just right? saying, if you see, yeah, if you see it work for one guy, and you're like, man, eh, people don't really know who that guy is. Maybe I can, maybe I can take this sort of idea and apply it to myself, and get out of my touring commitments, and hang out with my kid, and come back when I'm ready after, you know, playing a bunch of music at Big Pink. I don't know. Uh, it's not outrageous. It's thinking not, of all the things that Dylan's done. It's not outrageous. We, I mean, we have the stack of evidence that points to the fact that he would do something like this. This would not the be Christmas breaking record. Remember the Christmas record a couple years ago? Dude, he's what, always what trolling people. Bob Dylan is always <laughs> trolling America. Should we call this episode Bob Dylan versus America? Like he's always trolling us. Bob Dylan trolls everyone. <laughs> Bob Dylan trolls everyone. Uh, hey, if you want to get involved in the show, it's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. Greg, thanks again. Great Great yeah. letter, great Thanks, question. Greg. We should have gotten to this earlier. We're almost at 100 episodes. Uh, almost? We're almost there. Thank you for all your support. And um, Murdoch, what should people keep doing until next time? Keep listening to Bob Dylan's stories. Hey, Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.